By downloading or listening to this podcast, you are agreeing to Moody's legal terms and conditions found at moody's.com slash disclaimer, including that the information provided is not investment or financial advice, and that Moody's will not be liable for losses arising from your use of the information. The global economy and financial markets are in the process of getting used to a new normal. They're still adjusting to the rapid increase in interest rates that we've seen over the past 19 months. And at Moody's, we think that the reality is that rates are going to remain higher for longer. Global economic growth is going to be pretty lackluster in 2024, as higher borrowing costs and tighter lending standards just make some things like buying a house or a car or making investments in a business significantly more expensive. When you drill down to individual country outlooks, the situation looks a bit more mixed. But when you look at the big picture, the G20 economies, which account for 85% of the world economy and two-thirds of the world's population, will grow more slowly in 2024 than they have in 2023. But we do think that growth will get stronger in 2025. For some industries, this lackluster economic picture implies that defaults will be higher than average. And of course... Experience over the last few years reminds us that uncertainty increases risk, and there are lots of areas of uncertainty that preoccupy us, whether we look at geopolitical risk, energy prices, the outlook for China, or the impact of higher rates on the financial system. This is a very big picture conversation, and I'm delighted to be joined by two colleagues who spend their time thinking about these questions. Elena Dugar and Madhvi Bokel both work in Moody's Investor Services Credit Strategy Area. Elena, Madhvi, welcome to the big picture. Thank you, Sarah. Happy to be here. Now, I thought that we could start off with a whistle-stop tour of some of the major global economies. And Madhvi, I'm going to throw the first question to you, because I think a good place to start is the outlook for the U.S., Uh, The growth numbers in the third quarter were pretty staggering, 4.9% annualized growth. But we expect growth to slow significantly in 2024 to around 1%. That would still constitute a soft landing. Why are we so confident that this will happen? Well, Sarah, it is U.S. data over the last several months, which is strongly suggesting relatively smooth rebalancing on several fronts. High interest rates are gradually cooling economic activity. Labor market is loosening, but not sapping. Nominal wage growth is high, but it is slowing. And preliminary data suggests productivity growth picked up in Q3 and unit labor costs actually decline. Inflation is on a path back to the Fed's target. And I don't want to minimize the fact that cost of living has gone up significantly over the last two years, but we also have to recognize that we are no longer in a high inflation environment. So all of this, when we put it together, tells us that the economy is rebalancing quite nicely and looking forward then, a few quarters of below trend growth, which are implicit in our growth forecast of 1% for the U.S. economy in 2024, should see the U.S. economy on the other side of the inflation picture in 2025. And that is why, Sarah, we think that the economy can achieve a soft landing, of course, provided it is able to digest the rate hikes so far. 
Yeah, if I may, I think we've seen some positive surprises on the on the U.S. side this year, and the economy has somewhat outperformed expectations this year on the back of really the strong labor markets and then the pickup in the manufacturing construction. But we are starting to see cracks on the consumer side. Consumers are getting pickier and choosier, and the higher for longer rates will result in a slowdown over the next year. Well, bearing all of this in mind, what do we expect from the major global central banks, particularly the Fed and the ECB? Sarah, most central banks are done with rate hikes. The Fed and the ECB are too. The monetary policy is appropriately tight. And we expect the Fed and the ECB to hold rates here for the next few months and continue to monitor incoming data for further signs of improvement in the inflation picture. Now, by the second quarter of next year, we think the current stance will be too tight because, remember, monetary policy affects the economy with a lag. And we think it is very likely that they will begin cutting rates in the second quarter. And the ECB may even cut sooner than the Fed, given that the euro area economy is weaker and the credit conditions there are tighter. One more point, we are likely to see the Fed's communication shifting from an emphasis on price stability to their dual mandate of price stability and maximum employment in coming months. And likewise, the ECB's communication is also likely to become more dovish. Now, as regular listeners know, I sit in in Europe. And from where I'm sitting, the economic picture certainly looks a lot more gloomy than the picture that you painted for the U.S., with the economy basically stagnating. Now, the picture looks different from country to country, um, and there are some bright spots in Europe. But if I think about the euro area as a whole, inflation is down in part because energy prices are lower, and yet economic conditions are still gloomy. So, Madhvi, what do you think is going on here, particularly uh, thinking about Germany, where we're seeing uh, some of the, the gloomiest numbers. The euro area and Germany in particular have been hit quite hard by a series of unfortunate shocks. First, it was the supply shocks during the pandemic. Germany's auto sector was hampered by semiconductor shortages. Then we got the energy price shock, which increased the costs on households and businesses. And now interest rates and lending have significantly tightened. All of these have disproportionately hit the German economy because of its very large manufacturing base. And as you know very well, Sarah, manufacturing tends to be energy intensive. Manufacturing and construction also tend to be very interest sensitive. So it is not a surprise really that the German economy is languishing and Germany is at the forefront of the slowdown in Europe. That said, the German unemployment rate is still quite low. And if the labor market stays the way it is, it could continue to lend support to domestic consumption. Still, I think we should acknowledge that Europe really dealt with the energy transition, again, better, better than expected. We only got a mild contraction this year. This year, uh, this time last year, we were talking about the risks of a much deeper recession, which didn't materialize. So some of the energy transition went, uh, went smoother than expected this year. Uh, we are less worried, I think, about energy transition risks through this winter compared to, to last one. 
uh, still the outlook is somewhat somewhat gloomier than than in the U.S. and the risks are still still high in Europe compared to the U.S. Well, I think the next stop on our whistle stop tour has to be China. Um, growth in the first half of this year was pretty weak, but it looks like it's starting to pick up a bit. Does this mean that China is out of the woods? And how are we thinking about some of its structural issues? Look, China's economic activity in the first half of this year has been quite tepid. We are seeing some stabilization on the back of stimulus measures from the PBOC and other authorities. The economy faces multiple challenges, though. The property sector remains a drag on growth. Exports are at best flat, so not a source of growth. Private consumption has picked up in the third quarter, but there is some room there. And government policies are fostering investment in infrastructure and strategically important manufacturing sectors. So we pencil in 5% growth for this year, which is easily achievable in large part because of a relatively weak 2022. We expect the economy to expand by 4% in 2024 and 2025. This assumes, however, a firming of domestic economic activity. But growth is still being driven by supply-side policies and credit, and not so much by a strong rebound in uh, private uh, domestic consumption that we had envisioned earlier this year. So that's something we will be watching. Just to add, China faces structural growth challenges from demographic uh, trends, high debt levels, and low productivity. And these will make it difficult to sustain strong growth rates. So we expect China's economy to grow by around 4% next year and the year after. But we also recognize that there are some downside risks. Yeah, I think from a credit perspective, we are particularly watching the medium-term uh, growth outlook for China. And there are a lot of, on the back of the, you have kind of a cyclical changes coming with the adjustment in the property sector, which will take some time combining with the structural challenges of demographics and productivity growth and high debt levels, uh, which could lead to a weaker weaker and a growth over the over the medium term. And that's that's something we are watching very closely from a credit perspective. Thanks, Elena. And you know, I want to stay with you because we've just you know, now that we've completed this quick world tour, um, can you drill down for us and talk about what this means for non-financial sector companies and particularly their business models, their revenue models? Um, where do we see particular changes or interesting developments? Yeah, so for companies, again, we're looking at another year of, of uh, high interest rates and sluggish growth, which is weighing down on both sides of the balance sheet. And it's weighing down on, on uh, both on, on the revenue side and on the debt servicing costs. We are expecting that to, to weigh down from a credit perspective for companies, particularly on sectors which are exposed to the weakening consumer. So if we look at our, we assign global industry sector outlooks to about 18 global industries. The ones that we have uh, negative outlooks for uh, global auto, manufacturing, paper packaging and forest products, real estate, and global shipping. 
and there are only a few where we actually have positive outlooks right now, and they're all related to sectors which are still rebounding from the pandemic. Mm. So half of the outlooks are still stable, but in terms of the positive versus the negative, the negative still outweigh the, the positive ones. Now, Anna, what about defaults? How do we see that evolving uh, over the coming, say, year, 18 months? We expect defaults to moderately pick up going into next year. So if we look at, if we've already seen defaults picking up uh, over the last few months, and we expect that to continue going forward, we expect the default rate. So this is the global corporate bank rate default rate. Do we expect the default rate uh, to peak around four, four and a half to five uh, percent, and that's above the historical average of around four percent. So slightly above the historical average, but still way below the almost seven percent that we saw during the pandemic. So moderate increase in in the default rate. So to summarize, a fairly lackluster um, economic outlook, but certainly nothing drastic. Uh, that we see on on the default front. Now, just to close, I would really like to hear from each of you what are the most important risks that could really change this narrative. Um, Elena, what do you think? Maybe I'll, I'll pick up on the on the structural shifts. There are a number of structural shifts that are uh, hitting economies and to which businesses and then uh, governments would need to adjust. Uh, you start uh, climate risks is one. You have adaptation to new technologies which are coming fast and furious. And then you have the longer burn of, of just uh, demographic changes that that is uh, ongoing. And all of those will challenge existing business and, and the revenue models. They will create opportunities as well, but that will, they will require both companies and governments to adapt. And Madhvi? There are a multitude of risks that make for an uncertain economic environment. And as you know, Sarah, high uncertainty impedes long-term decision-making. Firms do not like to invest or make expansion plans in an uncertain economic environment. Risks that stand out for us are high interest rates, commodity price shocks, geopolitics, and climate shocks. This environment is not all negative for everyone, though. For example, shifting supply chains will benefit some countries. We are also seeing technological developments that could boost productivity. And several countries are embracing industrial and climate policies that would benefit high-tech sectors and green sectors. So a lot of uncertainty, but not all bad. Well, um, I think that's all the time we have for today. So Elena, Madhvi, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. And until next time, I'm Sarah Carlson, and this is Moody's Talks, The Big Picture. Thanks for listening to this Moody's Talks podcast. To find out more about the topics discussed, please follow the links in the show notes. You can check out other Moody's Talks podcasts by visiting moody's.com slash podcasts.